You're listening to The Watchers, a show where two women from opposite ends of New Jersey watch movies about New Jersey. Hey! Yay! We did it! We did it. <laughs> As if we haven't I know. done it before. <laughs> this one really, like... This is aggressively New Jersey. Oh, boy. I oh know. Oh, boy, Jody. Yep. I'm Jody. I'm Andrea. And we watched Patterson. Boy, did we. I am so happy that you had the reaction to this movie that I thought you were going to have to this movie. I I was like, uh, probably on Wednesday of the movie when I was like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. I'm going to be obsessed with this movie. Yeah. And I was right. I was right. Uh, did you make a spreadsheet? I did make a spreadsheet. Because <laughs> I... You know what is cool about this movie? And it's something that I could apply to all of our movies. I just don't usually. Is that... Or mm, what am I... I think what one of my skills is I think I'm a pretty good close reader in general. It's something that I like had to teach a lot. And yeah. I was in school forever because I had three different majors before I finally graduated. And so... But this movie, like... I was also probably at about Wednesday when I said to you, oh, the movie is a poem. Yeah. And so then I was able to watch the movie and just read it the way I would a poem. Mm -hmm. And it was so fun. It was so fun. It was so fun to do that with this movie. Your your research nerd uh, just popped out. It truly, it like, I had all my tabs open and I had a (laughs) notebook going and I had a spread, like it was... (laughs) It was, and I don't usually rewatch our movies. I usually, yeah. usually, I only watch them once. Um, I just don't. Again, it, like it's the ADHD part of my brain, and also, I mean, whatever. Well, but, a lot of the movies we're watching, I don't think need spreadsheets to be understood. That's, <laughs> that's also true. But I watched it twice. Like I watched it, went to bed, got up the next day, and then as soon as I was free that day, I watched it again. Wow. Yeah, I watched this one twice also, but that's because for me, the first time I watched it, I didn't watch it for the podcast. I just, right. then I realized that it would be good for this, but mm-hmm. yeah, I watched it for a second time last night after doing an insane amount of research about it. Yeah. And we'll get into, I, I'm assuming we'll get into everything, but the one mm-hmm. thing I want to say up top real quick is it. this movie is pretty, it seems like pretty beloved the reviews Mm -hmm. in general are great i think you said i don't remember if you said on mic or not but you said that like one of the criticisms of this movie um is that it's maybe a little twee Mm -hmm. and i think that is maybe a fair criticism except i don't care and in fact i will say now i think that's actually part of the charm yeah of it for me i agree i think that it's kind of like i mean in everything that i've read jim jarmusch um in speaking about this movie, like I, he doesn't care. Like this is, this is made to have very low stakes, Mm -hmm. be very sweet, Mm -hmm. be very like, um, mundane almost like it. I don't think he would care about that criticism at all. Right. Again, it's another thing that makes it feel cause I'm like, why isn't that? Cause there aren't, I don't have the attention span in general for a movie that is mundane where the stakes. Well, this this is hard because I also don't weirdly the least my least favorite part of any movie tends to be the big conflict. Mm. But I also don't have the attention span for something if it's if like mundane but boring. But 
I think the fact that this movie is made like a poem, it's like some of my favorite poems are just the study of an object, you know? Right. Like right. William Carlos Williams wrote the fucking wheelbarrow. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like the red wheelbarrow. Mm hmm. But also, I think because of, and this, we're jumping right in, but because <laughs> of our expectations of what a movie is and that there will be some sort of big conflict. Mm hmm. There are so many times where that yes. big conflict is hinted at and then yes. never happens. Yes. And so it does kind of, the first time you watch it, it does keep you sort of like on your toes a little bit in those yeah. moments. And then even on rewatch, I felt like, oh, this is deliberate. Like it's so intentional that it feels like there should be something scary or difficult happening here. And it's just, it just turns out okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in some ways... We'll definitely talk about the movie's relationship to the actual city of Patterson and, right. and how that might not be um, the most one-to-one relationship. But um, but yeah, that's definitely like, it keeps the momentum going on a first watch where you're mm-hmm. like, oh shit, this dog's going to get stolen. Or yeah. oh shit, like oh, the bus is going to, you know, something happen when the bus breaks to down. a fireball. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So. Totally. You know, and that's, I think the thing that has stuck with me the most about this movie, other than just the the joy of seeing a movie that's about artists who are obsessed with the mundane and the everyday, like, that's, I mean, that's, could not be more my jam, um, mm-hmm. is what stuck with me is, like, this sort of slippery, slippery relationship with Patterson, the city, because if you don't know Patterson if you're not from that part of New Jersey you don't have the frame of reference that this movie is both so Patterson that it's painful like in a good way Mm -hmm. and also so not like it's so it's so specific and so accurate to place and also doesn't feel like Patterson at all if you've ever been there like and so we'll talk about that more I'm sure but like that's the thing I keep coming back to is like how much of how much of this is almost like fantasy. Right. You know? And and well and Well I, wait, Andrea? Yes. What's this movie about? Oh, it's about Patterson. <laughs> wow, that means like ten different things in I this know. movie. It is I'll read to you what I um shared uh with someone I was talking to this week. I said uh Jody picked such a good movie this week. I'm obsessed. I watched it last night. I'm watching it again tonight. It's called Patterson, a movie where Adam Driver plays a bus driver named Patterson in Patterson, New Jersey, and he's obsessed with poetry, especially William Carlos Williams, who lived in Jersey and wrote an epic poem about Patterson called Patterson. (laughs) And I said he's got a smoking hot wife and a grumpy English bulldog named Marvin. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's it. (laughs) That's the movie. It is. But to get a little (laughs) to get a little more granular before Mm -hmm. we get much extremely granular. (laughs) Yeah, it is seven days plus a morning in the life Mm -hmm. of Patterson. He is a bus driver in Patterson. Um, He was born and has lived, it seems, in Patterson all of his life, though. We get a little hint that he did um, some time in the marines mm-hmm. we see his his picture um in his like i don't know what do you call them they're like his like his like dress he's like fancy dress yeah yeah um 
And that's and, actually Adam Driver in that photo. Right. Yeah. Which is fun. Um, and uh, and so it is it's again, it's seven days in the morning in his life. Um, he yeah, he's a bus driver. He has a, a wife who they have a very sweet and supportive relationship. Mm-hmm. It's like it's kind of I was like, oh, this is going to be easy. But then it is like I'm trying to apply like movie rules to it. And it's hard because right. it's right. like. Well, it in the beginning, he wakes. Them. Yeah, he wakes up. He has. Oh, we can do it this way. Should I refer to my spreadsheet? Ooh, I'm excited <laughs> for the spreadsheet. There are ten to twelve scenes in each day, depending on what's included and what isn't. He wakes up in bed with his wife. He has breakfast. He has the same breakfast every day. It seems mm-hmm. he has the same walk to work. Mm-hmm. He usually writes a little bit on his bus before work. He rides his bus route. He usually stops for lunch at the Great Falls where he does some more writing. Mm-hmm. Um, he checks in with his um, co-worker, boss, person, Donnie. Um, <laughs> then he has a walk home. He straightens his mailbox because it is crooked every day when he gets back. <laughs> One of the big reveals in the movie is yep. how that happens. Yep. Um, then he goes home and he has dinner with his wife. Then he and Marvin take a walk to the bar where he has one beer. Mm-hmm. And usually something something happens, Small. however yeah. we define happens at the bar. And then the next day starts. Yep. And that happens, well, that happens five times. And then we get two weekend days that vary a little bit, though you mm-hmm. can still map those days onto that um, routine in a way. Yep. And then the last scene of the movie is him waking up on a Monday. Right. You know... You said, like, it's hard to describe this in the context of a of a movie plot. And I think if we tried to do that, the big conflict would be uh, Marvin the dog eating his poetry notebook. Which, which is, is a, heartbreaking. It, it's heartbreaking. And it's also a very small thing. It's like mm-hmm. the biggest thing and the smallest thing, right? Because, right. you know, his poetry is is the focus of his life other than his wife and his job. And... You know, he has apparently one secret notebook that the dog eats, mm-hmm. and that's the conflict that he has to get over. And it is, it's funny because he has no plans to share those poems. Nope. And it's not, you don't get the feeling because uh, Laura, his his smoking hot wife, mm-hmm. is so, like, it, it seems to, like, sort of keep her up at night that he doesn't even have copies of it. He wants, she wants him to share these poems. Yeah. And, but I think because their life is so, and I don't mean this in a negative way but their life is so small mm-hmm. when she thinks of that what she means is like make copies of it i guess like I, I get the feeling, machine. yeah and I, I think she imagines him like going to the bar at night and like passing copies out to his friends like right so it's not that it's like oh my life's work and i was just about to send it off to a publisher who you know right. what i mean and because i'm still writing by hand i have no no copies yeah. of it it's not that it's no. just i do think that she probably has bigger dreams for for him than because she has huge dreams for herself she Um, wants to be the cupcake queen of patterson yes but also (laughs) a country singer that is as big of a star as like tammy wynette so you know can we get can can we just can we zero in on laura a little bit here or is it we can i kind of want to talk a little more about structure first sure or like about the overview of the whole thing only because you did such a nice job of talking about the, like, each day has X, Y, and Z in it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I watched a panel with Jim Jarmusch and Adam Driver. You might have watched the same one, but the cans one. I think so. I watched a couple. I did did Mm -hmm. a lot of (laughs) watching. Anyway, he talked about how the movie to him is about small variations. Mm -hmm. It's about variations. And Mm -hmm. so like that pattern that you established of every day, like every day we get an overhead shot of the two of them in bed, right? Monday through Friday, it's like pretty, like it's the same time of day, all of that. But the variation is that, like, on Monday, they're facing each other. On Tuesday, they're facing away. I wrote this down. On, so did I. <laughs> uh, on Wednesday, um, he's, like, holding her. On Thursday, they're spooning. On Friday, he's alone in bed because she's up making cupcakes. On uh-huh. Saturday, she's waking him up. Like, and it's, like, and one day, the his watch that he looks at every morning is 6.13. One day, it's 6.15. One day, it's 6.28. Yes, I wrote all that down as well. So did I. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like... You know, it's about little variations within a form. Mm -hmm. And I think, not to get too philosophical right off the bat, but like they talk about this when discussing the movie, that it's it's about how living a sort of structured life in some ways leaves room for like endless creativity. Right, right. So, Yeah, yeah. So much of his life is on like a sort of, almost literal autopilot and not and i don't think in a bad way i think it's really lovely you know when he's driving the bus and he's beeping and waving at the other bus driver every day and all of that um and it's it's the way that they draw your attention to that in like um you know monday morning they wake up and lara has the dream that they have twins Mm -hmm. and then this movie is just like chock-a-block full o twins lots of twins so many twins and when you're watching it the first time and you don't know what this movie is you're like huh what Mm -hmm. are we what's being signaled here like is there you know like like there is a less (laughs) interesting there's a less delicate version of this movie where you find out that like he is a vet returned who is dealing so badly with with his like ptsd that he's created this like fictional internal life for himself and those twins are a signal that this isn't reality right right but it's but it is reality and it's just that like everything else for him is so it seems to me that everything else for him is so regiment not not even regimented because it doesn't feel like (sighs) He's not fighting against it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So it allows for these pop-ups that are like atypical. Yeah. Um, And I thought immediately of um, a teacher I had in undergrad um, who gave this example. I really like – I love to read for patterns. It's like Mm -hmm. – I I think that's endlessly interesting. And he was like, you know – it's one of those things where when you start this isn't new but i just always think of his example when you start looking for things you can't stop noticing them right so yeah. she mentions twins and that's why he's noticing them and probably there have been twins streisand effect is that is that called. what that's called yeah 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 um his example was a a gr- like y- you buy a green jeep and then suddenly it seems like everybody has a green yeah. jeep yep yeah and and, and i that's it's like what you were just saying about how in a different version of this movie, 
it would be a signal of some trauma or something like that. I feel like there's all of these things that happen in this movie that in another movie would be bigger deals, would be symbols of something else. So like the twins, the incident with Everett at the bar that turns out to be like just a Nerf gun, like mm-hmm. uh, the the guys that pull up and ask about the dog, all of that stuff that is opportunities for conflict or drama mm-hmm. every single time it's subverted every mm-hmm. single time. Mm-hmm. And so like, that's kind of the tension that builds and then is released over and over and over again. And you're like waiting for something else to happen and nothing does mm-hmm. until the dog eats his notebook. And like, <laughs> Marvin's been the real threat all along. I don't like you, Marvin. (laughs) The the most intense and mean that Patterson gets in this whole movie is I don't like you, Marvin. I know. I know. There's so many things like that felt like they should have been bigger conflicts. Like the money thing, right? When she asks for the guitar and he Mm -hmm. hesitates because it's a couple hundred dollars doesn't turn into a thing right Right. the fact that she's literally just painting random circles all over their house like he doesn't seem to mind the fact that like she makes dinner that tickled by yeah he like he genuinely seems to delight in her it's not even like a it's not condescending with or condescending no No, i think he really her she's so different from him yeah and I, i think he really loves that yeah, I think maybe now is the time to talk about her because I do think that there's like, I had a weird, I had a different reaction to her when I first watched it, where I was like, oh no, like manic pixie dream girl slash mentally ill wife, like just yeah, she's a little. It's I I think I'm I'm worried that I like this movie too much to be critical of it. Because I know she is a manic pixie dream girl, but this whole movie is kind of like, well, it's but, the unreality but not, of it. Right. But not because she doesn't shake. She's not there to shake his life up. She's not there to right. like change him or open his like she's there to be Lara mm-hmm. and he's there to be Patterson. And they're just there together being themselves in a way that is like very sweetly complimentary. Yeah. And like. It is. I think later in the movie, it gets a little better. In the beginning, I was really worried. Like she's painting random like curtains and things, and like painting the walls. And, and she fully has ADHD. There's like, yeah. no oh, impulse control. 100%. She's got a new habit. Yeah. Like yeah, and yeah, and I and did the delusion of like wanting to become a country singer, and yet, like, there's all these things that. Then you're like, wait, but actually, because you're like, she makes all these cupcakes. He eats one one time at lunch and doesn't look excited yeah, about it's it. It's kind of hard to tell. Yeah. But then she sells out and she like every and she makes, you know, a few hundred dollars. And then also like she wants to learn how to play the guitar. And you're like, oh, God, another thing to spend money on mm-hmm. that she's going to not be good at or whatever. And she's going to forget about it. And then she actually like has a beautiful singing voice and, you know, learns she, a couple does, chords in the first day. She's not bad. Is, yeah, pretty impressive for one day out. Yeah. Like she even says it's pretty good for never having played before. And it's yeah. not great, but it's pretty it, she's right. It's not bad for never having played before. It's so funny after Marvin eats the notebook and she's trying to figure out how to comfort Patterson. <laughs> and she says, Would you like me to play the song I've been working on? And he's like, Oh no, thank no, that's thank okay. you. That's, that's so nice. But <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's the thing, like 
we, again, we're being led to a certain expectation in this case of her as this like, like manic pixie dream girl, like slightly, maybe mentally ill, you know, but then that's subverted by the fact that like, she actually does sell out of all of her cupcakes and people really like them. And, and she actually is kind of good at singing and like, you know, maybe we don't know. This is one week. Maybe she does start to you know, maybe she does stay with the guitar because she's good at it. And like, maybe she does start a cupcake business. Like we don't know. We're just led to feel like she's silly. I will say something I just thought of is that, and I love her. I love, I love Lara and I hope that her cupcakes sold well because they were delicious and she's going to open a business and it's going to be great. Mm -hmm. But it does seem our sample size of people interacting with Lara is one. Right. And it's, but it seems like she is so delightful that people don't want to hurt her feelings. Right. Um, yes. She makes that, that secret dinner pie <laughs> that I, that you're obsessed with. I think it sounds delicious. It does sound good. So, but it appears. What's wrong with Brussels sprouts and cheese? Yeah. That's just like, great. that's just like, that sounds like a delicious quiche plus yeah. extra crust, which like, yeah, I'm no, it down sounds for great. It. Uh, but Patterson clearly is not impressed. No. He's like really like gumming it down. He's having a hard time with it. Drinking a lot of uh, water. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's also possible that she went there and was so lovely and delightful that people just right bought all. She also packed those cupcakes just loose in tins. I know. How was she handing them out? I don't know. I have a friend who actually had a cupcake business and that is not how you do it. <laughs> I, can I tell you something? Don't have a cupcake business. I know that's not how you do it. No. But Um, I will say that that charm that she has and that sort of delightful personality is how you, like, sell a career in entertainment. Yeah. You know, or how it Mm -hmm. can start, you know, like her idea of becoming a singer in some ways is almost more practical than (laughs) becoming a cupcake salesperson. The cupcake queen of Patterson. Yeah. Yeah. Because she does have that sort of like magnetic. Totally. Enthusiastic charm, you know? I do love her. I did message you jokingly. I need to be clear jokingly because of what I came across in my, in my research. I was like, if I don't see her, talking to somebody else at some point in this movie i'm gonna start speculating that she is in fact a ghost as i am want to do yes you are um and i and i have no proof in this movie that she's not um but that does seem to be at least one person's actual genuine theory of this movie um i and i think that not mine yeah no i so (laughs) In the interviews that I watched with Adam Driver and Jim Jarmusch about this movie, they are both very similar in their um, disdain for explaining things. <laughs> Neither of them really wants to explain anything ever. No. Um, and will just answer questions with like, I don't know. I never really thought about that, you know? And so I think anyone I who brought... respect it. I know. But like, if you if you were one of those uh, questioners at a panel and said to Jim Jarmusch, like, what do you think about the idea that Laura is not real? <laughs> he would be like, well, she's there. She's in the movie. Yeah. Like, I think his whole thing with this movie is what you see is what's happening. Mm-hmm. You know, like there you're 
your brain is trying to come up with conflict, trying to come up with danger, trying to come up with all of this stuff, and it's subverted over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Same thing with her. You think that maybe she's mentally ill. Maybe she's, like, not there or Mm -hmm. all of these things, but she's actually just his partner, and she is all of these things. Right. You know? Like, she is talented at the guitar, but that may or may not go anywhere. She is makes decent cupcakes they might not be great we don't know you know so i think a lot of this in the interviews i've seen with him and with adam driver anytime you try to take this movie to a place that's like but what if he's like Uh, no 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 i love that this isn't a movie about a frustrated artist who needs a beautiful oh my God. flighty woman to break him out of his shell Freaking seriously like imagine him like going to the bar one night and like he's reading his poems there finally and he's so nervous and she's clapping for him and wearing like a silly hat you yeah know? <laughs> yes exactly no it definitely could have been that and like she is trying to get him to like she's encouraging of him mm-hmm. but i think that she also doesn't push him too far out of his own comfort like she doesn't seem to have any problem with his nightly walks to the bar his you know need for routine and i mean i did i did read some theories about the connection between the way he lives now and the idea of a veteran with military service and that's something that you could read into um i think again if you try to take that uh framework too far it can kind of take away from the rest of the movie and it's like whimsy and sort of poetry in and of itself like you could because there is a a viewing of this movie again you know like your extreme manic pixie dream girl framework that could be this is a vet who's seen combat he comes home he you know it, it could be a comment on the sort of jobs that veterans have to take when they get back. It could be a comment on his need for a routine for safety for mm-hmm. himself. Like we do see little hints occasionally about the way he reacts to um, stressful situations. But I think that again, that's putting like a simplistic frame over mm-hmm. something that it doesn't fit in every situation. The scene in the bar is the most obvious um, moment for that. Like when he has to disarm Everett thinking that the gun is real Mm -hmm. and you see him really shaken after that and like you could see that as the way how quickly he disarmed everett as his military training which it probably was you could Mm -hmm. see the shakenness of him after the fact as ptsd as trauma you could also see it as anyone who had to disarm someone in a bar (laughs) who thought it was a real gun would be shaken it was just not like a calm moment yeah i think it's really i think it is the the military background is the thing I had the hardest time not just letting the movie wash over me without because I do think it is really like um, it's a really obvious way of reading what's going on that like his, his uniform is folded on his chair. Mm-hmm. He, I was thinking like before I realized the before I like I don't remember I could <laughs> consult my spreadsheet just a second. <laughs> I mean, he wakes up without an alarm every morning. When do you see? 
yeah so you see i mean the marine photo is in the first scene the mm-hmm. first time you see it it's in that first scene he wakes up at six twelve, yep. um and, and it then, comes back again later yeah and then the next scene he is eating what appears to be an exact i would bet cup of cheerios yeah measured in that same little bowl and i was like nobody eats just a cup of cheerios <laughs> but you know who might <laughs> like yeah uh, yeah so you know someone who's re- lived a very regimented he reminded me that part of it not the dreamy poetry whatever part of it the other part of it the very like you know veteran working class whatever of my dad so mm-hmm. much who, yeah who went right from the military into um he was a cop um <laughs> which is but but it but that is also a very he was a cop in a very sleepy town so it was right. a very mundane routine existence where he yeah. went from one uniform to another and he had the right. same haircut and the same glasses yep. for his entire life and he went yeah. to the same bar for his entire life like it like that part of it was yeah. and i think that like and and actually, this is a movie where I don't know it's very useful to do this, but I would bet that Patterson came home from the military and was like, what is the job that is most like my military routine, but with the least amount of conflict? Because what I don't want is conflict, but what I do still want is routine. And he was like, oh, probably a bus driver. <laughs> Same route every day. Although I will say that being a bus driver in a city, to me, seems stressful. <laughs> It seems That's... really stressful. Like, you don't know who's getting on that bus. I've had to ride the bus in, in Providence and in lots of other places. And, like, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, that a lot of, those, like, wild things happening on public transportation. I mean, that's definitely true. But I think he seems to, what makes him different is that he does seem to delight in observing yeah. all of that. Right. And this is another good example of this movie, like you said, not really, like, being a little removed from reality is that, like, you know... Even the like the construction workers on the bus, you're waiting for them to get vulgar and they don't like everybody is pretty well behaved. Mm -hmm. Even the people who are being a little loud are doing it to give a history lesson like the Moonrise Kingdom kids. Like, Uh um, yeah, yeah. No. Oh, God. Their scene is one that to me felt like. Oh, maybe he's not in our reality because I I said to you, like, they're delivering these lines as if somebody planted them on this bus for Patterson to hear these lines. Right. Like, yes, there's so many. The performance. So do the little kids, though. The kids that are talking about Hurricane Carter. Yeah. Are also they sound like they're being fed lines to give a history lesson that will feed into Patterson's knowledge of of like Patterson itself and in his poetry. And I just wonder what. I I just don't imagine that it's all of the actors in this movie except for Adam Driver are bad actors. (laughs) Like, I don't. So what is going on with those performances? Because there are a lot of them. Even like even Laura, it feels a little like I said, like a lot of these people feel like they're delivering lines in a play to me in a way like that isn't I don't I don't. And I weirdly again, maybe this is just because I, I like this movie too much to be critical. It doesn't it like feels weirdly intentional to me it does so i think part of maybe part of what we should do here quickly is just talk about the sort of like external characters besides laura real Mm -hmm. quick because they do have 
sort of an interesting place in the life, the life specifically of Patterson, not of mm -hmm. Laura, but like, you know, every time he's on the bus, we get a character or couple of characters that like talk about Patterson history in some yeah. way. Right. So like the first day, um, is the kids talking about her, the boxer, Hurricane Carter. Mm -hmm. the, uh, you have this in a spreadsheet. That's probably easier. The second day is the two men, Jimmy and Lewis, talking about girls. And then the, the woman getting off the bus, like glaring at them. The third day is... The third day, we don't get a oh, bus Oh, we don't scene. get it. Right. We do What we do get is we get Method Man. We get... Well, we get... we. Laura, it's funny is... We get Laura in the kitchen with him. Mm -hmm. she, just just to if we're really like unpacking the patterns of this movie. Yeah. The first two days he has breakfast alone. And then the third day when we don't get the bus scene, Laura, it's very sweet. Laura yeah. gets up and comes out and gives him a kiss. And he says, are you awake? And she says no and goes back to bed. Yeah. Like she just wanted to give him another kiss before he yeah. left, which was so sweet. Yeah. Um, and then we don't get a bus scene that day. He's still working on that poem. Um, well, we don't. I shouldn't say we don't get a bus scene. We, he's we see him on the bus because we do see two. There's two twin girls crossing the street and they're wearing little blue glasses right. and they're very cute. Yes. Um, yes. But we don't. He we don't see anything happen on the bus. Um, right. But then we do get Method Man in the <sighs> laundromat <sighs> doing <sighs> doing his <sighs> bit about paul lawrence dunbar it's so he, good it's he wrote it for the movie obviously so, yeah Method and Man apparently did. i don't remember where i heard this it sounds like maybe it was the it sounds like from you saying that that maybe it was this maybe you know what this is from that like also he had just because of i guess for the movie had been reading uh william carlos williams himself like jarmish didn't write the no ideas but in things part yeah. into it for him he just yeah. which yeah Remember, I, I I thought of last week when I was like, I was like, no, that's you may have heard like no ideas, but in things, even if you haven't read Patterson, you're like, I'm uh -huh. not saying anything else. And then for it to come in the movie from from Method Man. Method Man. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. He's also in Garden State. Um, yes. I just yes. like that Method Man is a lot like me in that if I could <laughs> just be in every movie about Jersey, about even Jersey. if only for a scene, I would be. We have a lot in common that way. He's also, I love how tickled everybody is by Marvin. I know. Because he's like, oh, is that your old human ball and chain? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, he says like, hey, Pugsley, what are you looking at? <laughs> it's so sweet. Yeah. And even the, um, just, I'm just, when the group of that, like, convertible full of gang members comes rolling mm -hmm. by right before that someone in the background is commenting on marvin and he says that is an actual creature <laughs> yeah which is what i would say yeah um, and then he says like uh at a, or patterson asks method man he's like oh is this your um is this your laboratory and he's like mm. wherever yep. wherever it hits me is where it's gonna be yeah oh what a line method man yep yep so good. i know and so then on day four, on Thursday. Oh, on right. I'm bus, sorry. I forgot what we were doing. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> I So Method Man is sort of our replacement interaction for a mm -hmm. bus interaction. But then on day four is the two kids from Moonrise Kingdom talking about, um, I, I want to say it right, Gaetano Bresci. In the movie, they mispronounce it, apparently. They say Bresci, but they also Bresci. say Italian. <laughs> 
And so I think that that apparently was intentional. Um, the anarchist weaver um, that worked in Patterson. Um, but that day also has a second interaction with the little girl, which oh, that I scene is so sweet. Love that it scene. Is so sweet. It is. That, I mean, you already know that Patterson is a perfect human being at this point in the movie, I think. But the way he this is a, another good example of him just being so aware. He sees this kid sitting by herself. Yeah. And he very like without making a big deal of it, it's just like, hey, you mind if I sit with you till your mom comes back? Because not I mean, Patterson is a major city and bad things can happen. I mean, they can happen anywhere, obviously. Right. But like he's like, I'm just going to hang out and make sure this kid's OK. Yeah. And that's another moment where you're like, is something going to happen to the kid? Right. No, he's yeah. just going to have a conversation with her about poetry. And also she's gonna everyone share the, he meets is a poet. Is a poet. I know. <laughs> but she also has a secret notebook. You know, she reads him a poem that she wrote, which is so lovely. Waterfalls. Yeah. It falls like hair. <laughs> across the young girl's shoulders. Yeah. It's really, it's a very lovely poem, um, apparently written by Jim Jarmusch. <laughs> Pretty good yeah. for a kid. Yeah. And then, yeah. of course, we find out she's also a twin. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And then... Something I really like about that, too, is Patterson has poetry in his head all the time. He's always working on a poem of his own. But then when he walks home that day, he's got her poem in his head. Yeah. It's yeah. very sweet. And then on Friday, um, we don't get a bus conversation. We get the bus breaking down. Mm -hmm. And again, it's one of those like moments where you expect something bad to happen. Nothing bad really does. Um, but you can, I think, see a little bit of his, if you want to read into it, you can see the military training. If you don't want to read into it, you can just see somebody who's doing his job and like hurting everyone away from the bus. Mm -hmm. Like, but you could also read into it, you know, the idea of danger being, you know, and his role in kind of like protecting the people that right. are in his charge from um, danger. The I just want to quickly, just the way we keep talking about how this movie keeps setting up, like uh, creating moments where tension and like mm -hmm. foreshadowing things that don't actually come to fruition. Right. Um, the scene in the bar the night before is when Doc, the, the old bartender's wife, um comes in and uh you find out that he's taking her money from the cookie jar but he asks patterson weirdly he's like oh you still don't have a cell phone what about yeah. laura does she have one and you think that like it seemed to me i don't know if you think i i yeah. thought doc was like preparing to ask him to do something i don't know what but mm -hmm. but he doesn't but what it does set up is then when the bus breaks down and it's an electrical problem so the phone's not working you're like oh right Patterson doesn't have a phone. And just last night, Doc right. was wondering about that. Right. And you think that that means that because he doesn't have a phone, something bad is going to happen. But right. no, a kid just lends him her phone. Right. Because like, everybody else has a phone. Right. And it just works out. Like, you know, nothing bad happens. Another bus comes and gets them. Apparently, we don't see that, but we know right. it does. And then the next thing we see is him coming out of the station manager's office and no problems at all. He just right. goes home, you know. He just has a new thing to tell Lara when he gets mm -hmm. home today. Right. Right. Um, <laughs> we get the repetition of the, it could have exploded into a fireball line, which is quite <laughs> funny. But then that's the night, Friday night, after the bus breaks down, where 
Um, so we, yeah, we've all seen of the other than Marvin's notebook, the other the like three big, mm-hmm. you know, a, as big as they get in this movie things are the bus breaking down this scene that you're about to talk about and the notebook. Mm-hmm. And they all happen like, yeah, in Friday into Saturday. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so Friday we have the bus breaking down and then in the evening he goes to the bar like he usually does. And we see Everett and Marie, two characters that we've seen a few times. Everett played by uh, William Jackson Harper. Mm-hmm. Um, the love of my life. I, yeah, he is so easy to watch. I, I know. love him so much. I know. Anybody that watched The Good Place. Mm-hmm. Um, did you watch The Good Place? Yeah, I did, yeah. I okay. actually... It's another one of those shows. I don't know if I've if this has come up on the show a million times because I do it all the time or not. But it's a show that I've seen every season but the last. <gasps> I know. I know. I know. Andrea. I know. I love that show so much. I love it so much. And I've never watched the last season. Oh, my God. I know. Oh. Well, anyway. Well, I, I don't know why I do this. We'll have that conversation another time. <laughs> I just saw him. He's also in a very strange movie um, called Landscape with Invisible Hand. He's in it. Hmm. Just he's got like one scene. Um it's a movie that I watched because I actually the book is it's based on a book by M.T. Anderson called Landscape with Invisible Hand that I wrote mm. about uh, in grad school. Um, and the book is very strange and the movie is very strange in a different way. And I don't know how strongly I recommend it for our listeners. But if you like weird little movies, I, I say maybe check it out. Um, anyway, he's in that. He's got a scene or two in that movie and he's mm. he's very watchable in that as well yeah he's great and in this movie he's playing everett who is um slightly unhealthily obsessed with marie who's trying to break up with him over and over again and and it's like this is one of those moments where and i think to me this was the moment where there was the most obvious danger Mm -hmm. you know it's played off as not a big deal but he pulls in the bar a gun and says the classic line, if I can't have you, no one will, <laughs> uh-huh. and then threatens to kill himself. And this is when Patterson disarms him. And we find out that the gun is like a Nerf gun. But that danger felt the most real to me because it's so common. Yeah. Like, it's so common. Like, that sort of obsession, um, domestic violence link you know it it was a little weird to me that that was played off so calmly but then everything else is as well so it kind of fit but at the same time I was like okay yeah I've been puzzling over that scene a lot and it's like the one thing is like even when he pulls the gun Marie doesn't seem frightened and I think she like I my guess is that she knows him oh I want to be very careful here because Cases like this often happen where people think they know somebody well enough. But it seems that for this movie, yeah. she knows Everett well enough to know that, like, I bet he wouldn't even know where to get a real right. gun. Right. He's she an actor. We know that. Yeah. They've known each other since they were kids. She exactly. probably knows that he's dramatic and acts out this way. Doesn't make it okay. It's also no. like in another movie or in real life, Doc maybe has a gun. Maybe has mm-hmm. a real gun. Somebody else in the bar maybe has a probably, real gun. Honestly. You know? Right? Yeah. And, like... And then, and then, and then we have a real tragedy, but that doesn't happen in this movie. This is, it's funny. So much of this movie feels very small town in a big city. Like Doc knows his people so well that even he's, he's not like, they're all just more annoyed (laughs) with Everett's outburst than anything else. Yeah. And it does have that. That's, it's interesting you say that it has like that small town feel because like, 
even in big cities, there are neighborhoods where like people don't leave right. that neighborhood. Of course. But there's a quietness in this neighborhood and like a lack of other people interacting with Patterson that feels it le- it lends itself to that feeling that this isn't a real place. Yeah. It is weirdly dreamy, this yeah. movie. In a way that again, I really like, but but I could see. I am <laughs> I it's funny, I am sort of surprised by how beloved this movie is for anybody other than like me and you (laughs) because like all of this stuff i could see other people saying is very negative you know but this movie is like weirdly dreamy and kind of like it feels kind of like i keep wanting to use the word gauzy like -hmm. there's just like a little bit of separation between the real world and this movie in a way that i do find really like uh soothing yeah and it's that's the place that i really um that I have some, I don't want to say trouble because I did really love this movie, obviously, but like that stops me because I compare it in my head to the actual Patterson. Mm-hmm. And that's where that falls apart, which we'll talk about. I don't know that we're quite there yet, but um, because so we talked about the Monday through Friday of like the variation being the people on the bus, his interactions with outside people, his interactions with Laura um. And then we get to the weekend and I think that's where things start to change. And we Mm -hmm. think it's going to be more dramatic than it actually is again. Right. Um, But this is when we see the second shot of the photo of him as a Marine Mm -hmm. on Saturday morning um, when she's waking him up. Yeah. She's up first because she's got the, the cupcake sale. Mm -hmm. She says, she says it's my turn at the, at the farmer's market, I think. Or the, it's yeah. specifically at whatever booth at the at the maybe she says the bake sale booth or something like something that. Something like that. Which I yeah. didn't which again is very small town feeling that like yeah. you sign up for a turn at the booth. Like right. yeah. I don't know that that's really how it works, but it's but but fine. Um and he helps her pack the car. Mm-hmm. Um they do that thing. She he specifically asks, um, are you gonna take him with you? Yeah, we're like getting a there's like a lot of attention being paid to Marvin on Saturday. Right. Um, And she says, I can't. But could you maybe you could take him for a walk later? And he does. Right. Um, Marvin has terrible leash manners. He does. He really does. It's like the the passive, gentle nature of Patterson, where he is just like being the first time um, they they go to the bar. Marvin Mm -hmm. drags him right past Past it. it. Yeah. Well, he just and this wants is to the sit time down where, at the falls and Marvin yeah. doesn't want to let him. Well, and this is so, you know, we talk about how the whole movie is about variation. Like Saturday, Friday into Saturday is where thing, the variations start to spike a little mm-hmm. higher and be a little mm-hmm. more of a variation from the norm, right? So we've got the incident Friday night. She's going to the cupcake sale. Marvin takes him in the opposite direction than they usually walk, mm-hmm. right? They still end up at the falls. Marvin doesn't want to stop. Um, they walk past... Everett on the street who apologizes for his behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, no, that's on Sunday. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I skipped right. ahead. I was looking um, at the I was also looking at. Yeah. Yeah. But he goes in a different way than usual. Um, he then he's writing in the basement. Laura comes home, says she's made two hundred and eighty six dollars, which I, I wonder. I'm being so nitpicky about poor Laura's cupcakes. Do you think I don't think is she is that after <laughs> is it net or gross yeah because i don't a, think she's including the cost of the flour of the of all that flour no, no i don't so 
but good for her she does yeah. great um i i love his little basement writer's room so much oh i know um patterson's only flaw is that he does have a prominently displayed copy of infinite jest but i'm <laughs> willing to overlook yes. that well the- and you get the idea that this house is probably the house that he grew up in because oh. it looks to me like that was maybe his father's basement or something. It's got a lot of old sort of tools and things that are next to all of his poetry books. You, I did not think about that, but that is really interesting. Like it, Because yeah, they can't it, have lived there for too long. They're pretty young, I think. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Like, I are. mean, like, I mean, for that house to feel so lived in right, by them. Yeah. Like it would, yeah. I would not be surprised. You're right to if, if because he says he was born and raised in Patterson. It wouldn't surprise me if that was the house that he lived in growing up. Well, especially if just like timeline wise, again, he's they're pretty. I don't actually know how old Adam Driver is, but in, in 2016 or whatever, he would have been. I I don't think he would have been too long, maybe a few years out of the military. My assumption being that he graduated high school, went right into the Marines. Did sure. however long you have to do to, you know, and then came home and has been, has been. Yeah, so I think we're is, supposed to think late 20s, maybe right. early 30s at the oldest, but probably not, late 20s. Not long enough for that house to feel so, um, yeah. so lived in. Interesting. Yeah, it does feel like, it feels like somebody has been living there for decades and decades and decades. Mm-hmm. You I know? love, I love their house so yeah, much. Yeah, it's pretty great. Yeah, it's pretty great. So yeah, then so Saturday is the day when things kind of turn, you know, they go out to dinner and a movie because she's made this money from the cupcake sale. It's again, she's just, oh God, everybody is so painfully lovely in this movie. She's like, first of all, I'm going to treat, which is just like, I know it's just very, it's very sweet. And of course they see a movie that's fucking 250 years old, like they're black and white and black and white, Like, like she even says I liked it because it was black and white. Right. This movie, if it weren't for the fact of the one cell phone we see in this movie with that little girl, like this yeah. movie could take place. When, when was the Island of uh, Lost Souls? I think it was in the 30s, maybe. This movie could be I, 1930. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not, well, he, not really, but he like. He is out of time in a, in yeah. a way. And, and because. 1932. He's out of time in a way. And because he is, and this movie is so much about Patterson, like the yeah. movie itself is in many ways out of time. Like, of yeah. course, of course they go see some old ass movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then they come but, home. Oh, boy. And Marvin. Oh, there is. Well, when he gets, when they decide to go, he's brought the notebook up because we should say, um, mm-hmm. Lara has come down to talk to him in the basement. He, it seems like pretty unthinkingly, just when he follows her up, he goes with the notebook. Right. And then unthinkingly sets it down on the sofa and they leave. And there's the routine has been disrupted. Exactly. And there is like a menace or an ominous shot of the notebook on the sofa. Which I didn't notice the first time around, but I definitely noticed the second time. Yeah. 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 And And so when they get back, Marvin has shredded that poetry notebook like into a million tiny tiny pieces and it does seem intentional i said patterson it does i forget what i said patterson's only flaw was but he has two and the second one is that his dog doesn't like him very much and i i like i don't trust a person that dogs don't like but yeah no totally uh, but I, i do think maybe marvin was Lara's dog 
I think before so. they got together. It's clearly, so it's like a territory thing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's numerous times in the movie where he shows affection to Laura and the dog like makes a grumbling noise. Yeah. And it's um, like, excuse me. There is an incredible painting of Marvin on the wall. I know. That I'm sure Laura did. That it's not it's so good. great. I, I know. love it so much. Yeah. Um, but yeah, sorry. So, I mean, torn into snowflakes. It is. Yeah. It's like devastating. Yeah. And she's picking up little pieces of uh, it. She apparently to... gathered the whole thing. Oh, uh, she says, this is incredible. She says, it's your notebook. And he says, it's what? Like, yeah. he can't even. He's it. Yeah. I know. And then... His therapist would tell him it's okay to be angry sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently not, though. Mm-hmm. Um, I I did read something where it was, it's almost, in. I was in one of the reviews, it was almost like Laura feels his emotions for him mm-hmm. in some ways, because she's devastated. Um, and then the last scene of that day is her trying to pick up all the pieces, and then it goes, fades to black again. And then we wake up on Sunday morning, and our overhead shot again shows him sitting on the edge of the bed and she's awake and it's things like, clearly like, are not great. Right. Has he even slept? Who knows? Right. Um, but so Sunday is sort of the end of our week, the end of the, like the denouement of, of our crisis, which, you know, the crisis being the loss of the poetry book. Right. We see him in the P we see him awake. She tells him to come back to bed or to go back to sleep. He says he's going to. But then we see him in the basement. Mm-hmm. And I just want to uh, say that in the basement, it's and he, go, he goes down to the basement and he pulls a copy of um, early William Carlos Williams, uh, mm-hmm. early Carlo William Carlos, Carlos. poems. Yeah. Um, uh, and there's also a book of Ron Padgett poetry. Yes. Down there. So I like that the man who wrote the poems in this movie exists in in this movie as well yeah yeah um and this is where we get the the scene of him sitting on the um chair sitting on the couch and marvin's on the chair and he says i don't like you don't marvin like marvin um and then laura just like but he says i don't like you marvin but he's god he's but he so let the dog good. back in he's the one who let the dog back in yeah. laura's like didn't i put you in the garage yeah that you said um you read that it's like laura feels his emotions for him and i i'm trying to let this movie just exist within the confines of the movie but he is so reserved and so mild-mannered and they say it's really important when you're growing up to have somebody who can not only like model healthy emotions for you but also help you identify them like mm-hmm. he did not have a parent i mean most of us i would say did not um who could say things like oh it seems like you're feeling really angry right now oh i'll bet right. you're really frustrated mm-hmm. and i like i don't think he's somebody who is i, I would gather my guess is that he's somebody who's not very good at identifying his emotions and therefore right or and also however you want to say that isn't great at expressing them yeah and laura is all feeling right, right. like and if and you wanted so... to take the ptsd angle on this movie you could sort of see it as he's afraid to feel any of these big emotions right, right? right. because they can get out of control again i don't know that we're being asked to do, to do that but right. you could um he needs a a feelings wheel would be really helpful for him just Um, point at the feeling you're having exactly yeah but so so lara says no he has to go back in the garage and i i do really like that now that like you saying that 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 is her being like somebody needs to be angry about these poems like here i'm gonna demonstrate to you like 
a, a reasonable way of responding to what Marvin has uh, reasonable. I mean, not that I mean, Marvin's a dog. He didn't. Right. Have a motive, he doesn't understand. But, but yeah. But also, I thought it was really sweet. She says, I wish you would have read me some of your more recent poems. I, I could have remembered them, oh. you know, because they both do have seemingly unconditional support for each other's art. It is so it's so beautiful. Yeah. Um, oh, the day before I just this is I'm being so I, I'm being such a jackass here. I know. But she asks <laughs> him, she says, will you read that poem that I mm-hmm. like? And of course, it's this is just to say. Yeah. But I don't believe for a second he doesn't have that poem memorized. Oh, of course he does. Like, but he's holding the book, so he reads it from the (laughs) book. Yeah. Anyway. No, that's really, it was a very sweet moment. But so this is when he goes for the walk by himself without Marvin and sees uh, Everett and then ends up at the falls, which are a very significant part of this movie. Mm Mm-hmm. And sits down, and then we get our our out-of-town visitor, which for those of people who don't know Patterson or aren't poetry people, this is a thing that people have done. Is mm-hmm. I mean, it's a thing Jim Jarmusch did. It's right. how he found out about Patterson. He went to Patterson to see what inspired William Carlos Williams to write Patterson, among other things. And also the other sort of famous literary figures that have been from or... Um, have lived in Patterson, like Allen Ginsberg and and things like that. So there's a out of town visitor um, who has come, come to, to see the falls and to see what inspired the very interesting poet William Carlos Williams. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they have a very like sweet but stilted conversation where he asks if he's from Patterson, and he says yes. And he says, uh, "Do you know William Carlos Williams? Are you too a poet of Patterson, New Jersey?" Um, and he says no. He says I'm just a bus driver. Do you? But think the guy can tell because said... of all. Of... I think no, he would have if... always said no. Yeah, I don't think he thinks. Of I think he would have as... always said no. I think he might have said I write poetry. I don't know that he would have labeled himself a poet. Yeah, I get the feeling that he wouldn't have even said that, no matter mm-hmm. what happened with the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Uh... And I think it's so meta. He says, you know, I'm just a bus driver. And then the guy says, this could be a poem by William Carlos Williams because he's a bus driver. uh It's like, ugh. And then they have this conversation about Frank O'Hara and Dick Buffet and the New York School of Poetry. And so the guy is like, okay, sure, you're not a poet. Like, you know all of these things. Stuff just any rando knows about. Yeah. I also thought it was funny. Um, he says that he's a poet, but he only writes in Japanese and that poetry and translation is like a shower with a raincoat on. Mm-hmm. But Ron Padgett is a known translator yeah. of poets. Uh-huh. Like it's a big part of his contribution to the world of poetry is so translation. Funny. Yeah. Um, and then he says, I leave tomorrow. Nice to meet you. Shakes hands. And he gives him a blank book to write in. So sometimes the empty page has the most possibilities. Yep. Yep. And he's got two broken fingers. And if you've been paying attention to this movie, that unlocks everything. It doesn't. I, it doesn't. It doesn't. It I just, wanted it to mean you, something so badly. I know. I know. But this is just not to be so annoying. But like poets, like your biggest job as a poet, I think, is to notice details. Like I know yeah. that's such an obvious thing to say. But yeah. it's like specificity right like yep. no ideas but in things and, yeah and 
I think that's what all those really weirdly specific details that in any other movie would be hinting towards something bigger. Right. It's just Patterson, whether he will admit it or not, is a poet. And so mm-hmm. he's watching the world that way. Yeah. Yeah. And so then as he walks back, he's composing a poem in his head again. Um, and he walks. So much to say about that. <laughs> so then at the very end, we just get we get the next Monday. Yep. And he picks up his watch, kisses her, gets up, starts his new week. It's a beautiful note that it doesn't end on Sunday night. I know. I know. And I kind of almost missed that the first time I watched mm-hmm. it. Like, it just was so matter of fact that I, I didn't, it didn't register that it started Monday mm-hmm. again. But when I rewatched it, I was like, oh, of course. Like, you know, he's going to continue this routine. Right. Hopefully writing in a new more beautiful notebook than the one that was a nice notebook yeah it was yeah also don't you want to live the kind of life where you can be the kind of person who carries around blank notebooks just in case you meet another poet that you can gift one to oh yeah (laughs) i thought you were gonna say carries around a notebook i'm like andrea of course i carry around a notebook no 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 I mean, I, I wish I, I thought you were going to say, and I wish I could be the kind of person that only has one notebook. <laughs> yeah. I have so many notebooks. Oh my God. I literally this morning had a thought to myself because I have to start teaching again in January that I need to buy a new notebook for my yeah. semester because mm-hmm. that'll, that'll make it work. That'll make it better. Uh, You're going to yeah. crack the code. So what did, <laughs> what did you want to say about the him composing the poem as he walks oh, walks home on Sunday. So the the poem is about a song, and the song is a Bing Crosby song, um, "Swinging on a Star." I think everybody is familiar with that, right? Um, and the, the line, uh, you know, or would you like to be a fish, or would you rather be a fish? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but it, I. I actually don't have so much to say about that, but what I do is <laughs> there's a poem. So it immediately made me think of um, a poem by Ezra Pound and Ezra Pound and William Carlos Williams mm-hmm. have an interesting relationship. Um, but the, yeah. the song is from like 1944, but the Ezra Pound poem is from 1916 um, and it's called Salutation. And it is one of my like top 10 favorite poems of all time. And mm. it is, it, he could, it's, I, do, I don't know that, that Jim, it, it doesn't matter whether or not he was refer he was like trying to like ask people who are aware of this poem to make this connection or not, or if he's even aware of it, though I would guess that he is because it's a, if yeah. if you read Pound at all, it's a pretty well-known well, poem. Jarmusch did study poetry so I Columbia. Would, right. So he probably, so I would be unsurprised if he didn't know this poem, but do you have patterson's poem written down by any chance um that last one no i don't oh interesting i don't think this poem was i don't think this is one of the poems that was written for the movie let me see Mm. yeah because Uh, one thing that um and i'm sure we'll talk a little bit about ron paget but um some of the poems they're all by ron paget except the one that the little girl says Mm -hmm. but some of them were written for the movie and some of them were not and I don't think the line I'm going to guess I know the run I know the the poem called the poem that I mm-hmm. told you I forgot I had actually taught once in a children's lit class um, was obviously not written for the movie. Yeah. Um, 
then this one, the one I'm thinking of, that last poem he reads is called The Line. And so mm-hmm. the poem, I think he's got one called The Run. I think those mm-hmm. probably were written. And then the Love movie. Poem, which I think is the uh, the matches one. Right. Um, I'm the So the line is, there's an old song my grandfather used to sing that has the question, or would you rather be a fish? In the same song is the same question, but with a mule and a pig. But the one I hear sometimes in my head is the fish one. Just that one line, would you rather be a fish? As if the rest of the song didn't have to be there. Hmm. And then there is... Again, the swinging on a song stars or swinging on a star song is the one he's talking about. But the Ezra right. Pound song salutation, can I share it now? Is it time? The Ezra Pound poem, yeah. That this that the line made me think of is uh, salutation. Oh, generation of the thoroughly smug and thoroughly uncomfortable. I have seen fishermen picnicking in the sun. I have seen them with untidy families. I have seen their smiles full of teeth and heard ungainly laughter. And I am happier than you are. And they were happier than I am. And the fish swim in the lake and do not even own clothing. <laughs> and That's it's great. like, it's so fucking good. It's and great. It's, and, and it could be like, Patterson could have written that poem. like And William Carlos Williams could have written that poem about <laughs> the town of Patterson. Exactly. Exactly. Like that reminds me of, so I, I did read most of uh, the epic poem Patterson this mm-hmm. week. Um, And it does remind me of some of his descriptions in the first book about the people at the park Mm -hmm. that surrounds the falls in Patterson. Right. Right. Totally. And so it's it would have been very on the nose for because Patterson could have been like uh, my you know, I know a poem (laughs) like that has a line, you know what I mean? Like about how fish don't own clothing. And I often think about how I could be a fish who doesn't own clothing. Like, like Patterson is trying to get to that level of simplicity. I don't even know if trying is the right word. I think he just is like, he is, he is a fish with no clothing. He is a fish with no clothing. Yeah. At least that's him at his, like, you know, I think that's how he pictures himself. Um, Yeah. Well, and I think this is a good place for us to talk about a little bit more about the poetry in the movie. Mm -hmm. So um, like I said, Ron Padgett is a New York school poet originally from Oklahoma, but we'll forgive him, um, (laughs) that wrote the poems that are in this movie. Um, And, and, you know, this is the same world that, you know, William Carlos Williams was a part of, not the New York school, but um, you probably can explain this better than I can actually. Um, but you know, there's references to Frank O'Hara, Ezra Pound. I did, I did take notes on this part, but since I am not a, uh, (laughs) poetry historian, also, I thought it was interesting that Ron Padgett's poetry, his collected poems won the Poetry Society of America's 2014 William Carlos Williams Award. (laughs) It's, isn't it funny how like Padgett's a big deal in the poetry world? Yeah. But like, he's not somebody that you that if you're not you know like deeply invested in in the history like you're gonna know him i'd never heard of him but this movie it is it is interesting how different people pop off (laughs) like because his contemporaries so many of his directly like john ashbury like he's somebody whose name you might know even if you don't know ron paget franco yeah like um and yeah, I just think that's really there there's something really interesting about that to me. 
Yeah. And it's, um, so I think the thing that's interesting to me about the way that poetry is used in this movie and the fact that it's specifically William Carlos Williams that's referenced over and over again is that William Carlos Williams was a doctor. Mm-hmm. He had a day job. And Can I tell you where it wasn't? It wasn't Just in Patterson. so annoying. I know. What a weird, like, it's... Uh... It's because of the poem, though. It's because of the epic poem of Patterson. But I know, he was a doctor in Rutherford. And, like, and lived in Rutherford. It's not even the same county. I don't. And it's such a weird, like, do you think that Jim Jarmusch didn't? Oh, he knew. Do you th- like, and then so like, maybe, maybe that's our hint that this doesn't actually exist in our reality. It is a very similar reality. This is a many worlds movie. Mm. And one of, one of the hints is if you count the number of twins in the movie, uh-huh. there are 12 12 <laughs> i don't know how many there are <laughs> making it up <laughs> yeah and there Going are also 12 hole. scenes in every day and then if you multiply 12 by 12 you get 144 <laughs> which is how many uh-huh. lines are in the preface to patterson oh my god that's not true i have oh no idea god. how many lines i just think again we're getting this movie, we're getting <laughs> yeah none of that oh i just listeners please but you could totally buy it yeah none of that is true but but i do think yeah um but my point though is that it is me. a weird like, okay <laughs> it is a weird note i buy it to fuck up well and i don't know that it's a fuck up right because william carlos william wrote patterson mm-hmm. and so he is associated with patterson and the fact that he was a doctor in Rutherford instead of Patterson just seems to be completely inconsequential to anyone who <laughs> talks about him. Yeah. Like, they just refer to him as a poet of Patterson, mm-hmm. not Rutherford. For those who don't know, I think know, you Rutherford have to be as obsessed with New Jersey as we are to have to, an issue to with to that. Like, to be like, that's mm-hmm. a difference. Yeah. But it is a difference. Yeah. Um, it's about a 20-minute drive, 18 minutes. Which in Jersey is as far away as anything. Yes is from anything yes but also we have talked at ad nauseum you know in a probably annoying fashion about how new jersey is a bunch of micro neighborhoods like patterson and rutherford are not the same thing right they're very different and patterson in and of itself maybe this is where we talk about it is a very specific place well that's it's so specific and it's so not rutherford (laughs) and you know what you know what you know what (gasps) Jim, 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 you should have leaned into that because William Carlos Williams is a man who wrote an obsessive poem about a place he did not live in. Mm -hmm. And this movie, like, and so you can be, you know, you can be as familiar with and spend as much time in a place. But if you don't live there, you can't actually speak to the experience of living there. Mm -hmm. And. And Patterson, the character in this movie. Right. He he lives there. And was but born he's there. being right. But he's being written by someone who didn't. Yeah. And maybe then in the same way, like, you know, nobody is questioning William Carlos Williams' authenticity of how he represents Patterson and Patterson. That nobody cares about that. Right. Right. Like it or or no, I shouldn't say that. Nobody Nobody is faulting him. And saying, like, you are not representing Patterson accurately because you're not from Patterson. We just ignore it. And I think maybe there's a little bit of that that we're doing with 
Jim <laughs> with this movie too is that like yeah. you know you know well and that's when know. from the very beginning I said my one the one thing that jams me up a little bit about this movie is it's so specific like the references the Patterson New Jersey references in this movie are nonstop. Mm-hmm. the people on the wall of Doc's bar right Uncle Floyd Jimmy Vivino like Hurricane Carter I love that Sam he's got Dave. both of the like, Vivinos oh oh here's a cool little thing sorry you said Sam and Dave if you're yeah. counting all the twins in this movie there are lots of twins who aren't actually twins but are framed as twins the yeah. two young boys on the bus the first time are um they're like seated similarly you get the shot of both of their shoes they have mm-hmm. so, like similar haircuts they're not twins no you meet Sam and Dave they are twins, mm-hmm. but then they're also twinned with Sam and Dave, the uh-huh. musicians. Mm-hmm. And then also in that scene, we we learn that Doc is really obsessed with chess. He's going to a chess tournament in yeah. Camden later in the week. Yeah. You find out he's playing chess with himself. Mm-hmm. And so that is another kind of twin, even mm-hmm. though it's with, you know what I mean? Like yeah. there's so much there. Um, yeah. Anyway, Sam and Dave. Um, I was just all the references to Patterson are literally nonstop. Um, it is one, I, what Sam or Dave, one of them is wearing um, an Eastside Ghosts shirt, uh-huh. which I think is actually Eastside High. Is their their mascot ah. is the ghosts? I believe. I feel like that's been mentioned on New Jersey is the world. Actually, um, I don't know what their mascots are, but Eastside High is in Patterson. I do know that. I'm gonna. Well, and isn't that the same school that um, Lean on Me was about? Correct. Eastside High Patterson. I'm gonna look it up because I, I I hope I didn't make nope, it's the ghosts. So he's actually wearing like an Eastside High Ghost shirt. Um there's fascinating all that their mascot is the ghosts. Wow. Yeah. And he's wow. wearing that t-shirt in the movie. Um, but so just to put a really fine point on this, it is the movie is obsessed with the town of Patterson, its history, the people from it, like it's it's industrial like um surface you Mm -hmm. know it was like the first in not the first but it was like the cornerstone of american industry you know alexander hamilton like i mean you could go on and on and on and all of that is hugely significant yeah historical costello is referenced like i mean and it does that that city has an insanely rich american history Mm -hmm. right the new york black yankees of the negro league played at hinchcliffe stadium in patterson it played an important part in the aircraft engine industry in world war ii like um and so much of that is centered on or begins because of the falls there the falls which which hamilton i i'm gonna guess that everybody else knows more about this than i do because i'm not i i didn't get into the hamilton musical or anything but i do people yeah but like but but the story goes as far as I know, Hamilton saw the falls and thought like, oh, this will be a town of industry. And yeah. and then it did become it that. Yeah. And it was it's still... known as Silk City because of the um, textile mills that were there. Also, some of the um, early Colt handguns were manufactured there. Like, but so he's obsessed with all of that. The people, the the history, the things that happened there, the people that came out of there. <sighs> What is missing to me, and this is where I get stuck because I'm like, does it matter that it's missing if this is more of a fantasy right. movie? And about... is it up to me to feel the missingness that of too. what I think you're about to uh, say? Yes. And so what I'm about to say, which I, I I have complex feelings about, 
Patterson is a much more complicated city than it is in this movie. Mm-hmm. It is a, um, a extremely diverse, one of the most diverse cities in the country. Um, Which I do think is that that part is well represented. Yeah. I mean, our lead is like a white man, but everyone else is basically not. Right. He's allowed to be, I guess. I guess. <laughs> um, but it's a relatively small city. It's only eight square miles. Mm-hmm. Um, and it had 52 distinct ethnic groups in 2014. It had the second largest Muslim population in the United States. It has a growing like Bangladeshi American, Turkish American, Arab American, Albanian. Like it is... It's uh, Peruvian American community is among the largest in the outside of Peru. Like, which again, you said eight square miles, eight square miles. Incredible. Like that. Yeah. It has an area called Little Lima, which is a Peruvian enclave in downtown Patterson. Largest enclave outside of South America. Like, so. God, New Jersey fucking rules. I know. It's an extremely diverse city. It is also a troubled city in some ways. It is Mm -hmm. an underinvested Mm -hmm. in city. Mm -hmm. Its schools are notoriously falling apart. Well, when (laughs) when uh, Patterson, I just forgot his name for a second. When Patterson's bus breaks down, Mm -hmm. Lara says they should buy you a brand new bus. The least they can do. And then Patterson says the city of Patterson. Yeah. Not likely. Yeah. So there's, you know, this, this movie is yeah. a little aware of its, uh, the, that underinvestment that used to be. Right. And I'm not a historian <laughs> of the city of Patterson. I did grow up two towns over from it. Um, mm-hmm. And I had the typical white suburban relationship to Patterson, which is that to me, it was a scary place, right? right. It was an ethnically diverse place. It was a poor place in comparison to the towns around it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um. But a lot of that has not changed. Mm-hmm. I was literally just in Patterson, like mm-hmm. when I was home a couple of months ago. And it is still a place of sort of um, poverty in the midst of extreme wealth, you know, which in is the area the, surrounding it. The case in uh, quite a few Jersey, yeah. Jersey in particular has that. Newark, Camden, yeah. et cetera. And there have been some efforts, like there, there's been an investment in the arts in Patterson re- in recent years, but it is still, it's a beautiful place and it's a place with a beautiful history and a really rich history. And that is really celebrated in this movie. Mm-hmm. And I love that because again, it doesn't have to always focus on, it doesn't have to be lean on me, right? Right, right. And I'm kind of glad, I'm not kind of, I'm glad that it isn't. But the thing that I'm like a little uncertain about is like, it's so heavy on this place of Patterson. It is mm-hmm. obsessed with Patterson that I'm kind of like, well, but you're missing a huge, I mean, you see the sort of like crumbling factory buildings. You see that he lives in a relatively small house. You get the sense of like the guys that drive up in the car, but that's not like. There's also, right. And like, like it, it's a kind of, <sighs> I don't know what the adjective is, but I one of the another example of this is when he walks back from the falls um, over the weekend, you see the only unhoused homeless person in the movie. And he stops. And because he's Patterson, he gives him he gives him some money and then he gives him some more money. (laughs) um, And and they share a kind word, of course, because he's Patterson. Um, And that's your one. And and this homeless person is 
homeless at the falls like it's right. beautiful you know what i mean like yeah the, yeah it's very all that's of like the gauziness. reality it's so gauzy that's the right word and i mean like you know just just for a present day like patterson update like in march of this past of this year of 2023 there was a police shooting and um the attorney general took over the patterson police department like mm -hmm. it is still a place where people of color are you know what's the word i'm looking for i mean seemingly in danger from the police department at and, the very least at the very least and also just you know the money that freely flows around towns in new jersey to support their school systems does not make it to cities right. like patterson right i so, literally like lean on me there's yeah. a movie all about it and and well here's there are a lot of things that are complicated about this but the where i sh i'm just gonna i'm just gonna try to to articulate this something i wish could be true is that this movie were made by somebody from patterson I know. Because then they get to decide what part of their city they show. Because I don't, because I, I, I also don't know that I want Jim Jarmusch to like take it upon himself to represent the, uh, the like troubles of the people of Patterson. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like from a statistical perspective, I, I did do some research because again, we are two white ladies from the suburbs mm -hmm. of New Jersey, you know, or at least I am. I, I You're from chicken country, but... <laughs> Um, and also this i was born in the suburbs i moved to chicken i know country. i just like talking about your chickens and your raccoons um but Raccoon. by eight, in 1983 patterson was the fifth poorest city in the united states mm -hmm. so like this is a this is not just like oh it's a rundown neighborhood like patterson has had some real trouble in city management in funding in investing in schools investing in neighborhoods What's and to be said for Patterson himself being so particular about his routine? Like, has he maybe built a life for himself that elides all of that because he needs peace? And although, can you live in a city and make that decision for yourself? I don't, I don't know think that you, you can. can. I mean, like, again, I'm speaking from somebody who did not grow up in Patterson, mm -hmm. but like... I have been there many times. I don't know a part of Patterson that is that quiet. Right. Maybe there is. I, I freely admit that I do not have all of the knowledge in the world about this. But, but if I you do don't, Jim Jarmusch certainly doesn't either. <laughs> I mean, like, I did grow up, to, like, I grew up two towns away. Like, right. the town in between my town and Patterson is Fairlawn. And it's like... Well, and this know. is, to, to draw a parallel... To, to say, like, to draw a parallel, I lived before, before I moved to Philly two years ago, I lived in Collingswood, which is a town over from Camden. And Cam right. Camden, Nork, and Patterson are often held up as, like, three kind of sister cities that, that do have long, rich history in New Jersey, have a lot to do with, you know have a lot to do with with the history of, of like what makes jersey jersey right and then and have, have had huge contributions to the culture of new jersey through the people that have come from right. there you know and are fully completely underserved and ignored and yeah and camden has had some like i put scare quotes around like revitalization efforts um yeah. that that still managed to not actually serve the people of camden um 
and 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 that's not all true there are other whatever cam didn't again i'm saying all of this because i also grew up or lived next to a town that has a similar and wouldn't dream to be able to speak for the people of it which obviously you're also not trying to do and and i hope that that jim jarmusch is also not trying to do right i the what makes me feel okay about it is like actually this this movie isn't about patterson the place it's about patterson the poem yeah yeah and i think that even even with that take though as someone who read patterson the poem just recently there is much more engagement with the history mm-hmm. of the area in that well, poem because because William carlos area... williams like you and unlike jim jarmusch lived you know a town or two over right and in that poem, in that poem, poem, he he talks about the indigenous tribes mm-hmm. of that area, and he talks about the interrelationship between those those groups of people and settlers, and like all of this stuff. And obviously, Jim Jarmusch is not trying to do that with this movie, right? right. And I don't think that, like you said, like do we want to see him try to reckon with the political and right. economic devastation of a city based on white flight and all sorts of other things? Probably <laughs> not. Like he's right. probably not the right person to do right. that. I did desperately try to find a review of this movie from someone from Patterson. Mm-hmm. I could not. I looked for a star, a star ledger review thinking maybe that would be something or a Bergen record review. Interesting. Could not find it. Um, doesn't mean it doesn't exist. But I was not able to. Um, I did find a review from someone who lived in Patterson for a time, but I I don't know if that's the same thing. Right. Um, So, yeah, I mean, Jim Jarmusch describes his interest in this story as what happened was I went to Patterson over 20 years ago as a day trip because I was interested in William Carlos (laughs) Williams and the fact that Allen Ginsberg grew up there. So he's interested in the history mythology romanticized version of the city right which i think is also okay like yeah i think that that is and what i like what he does okay wait let me quote this real quick because this is exactly what we're talking about this is from an article in (laughs) northjersey.com uh he does say a lot of the architectures from the same period, he's talking about Yonkers, which is where some of this is filmed. He said, Patterson, the film is not a social document. It's not hyper-realistic. Our film is partly an imagined Patterson, but with a real mm-hmm. affection and intention to feel the real Patterson. And I think that is what we're saying. Right. Right. Um, it's and about something that you don't pretty... often see. People who are content more or less with the kind of limited lives most of us have because their inner lives are full. Yeah. Yeah. And it's judgmental of us to watch a movie like patterson i'm getting away from the larger implications and kind of narrowing back in on patterson the character Mm -hmm. it's sort of judgmental of us and bringing a lot of like preconceived ideas of people who live quote-unquote smaller lives like that to be watching this movie and waiting for something like extraordinary to happen to patterson the character Um, yeah and that's part of watching a movie to be fair to us but also like i do think that as two people from New Jersey who are probably more familiar with the city of Patterson than a lot of viewers of this film, I think we are looking for things that aren't just aren't going to be there mm-hmm. because of that. And that is a, that is taking our own preconceived notions um, 
and kind of laying them on top of of a very specific story right and so. I like what he says about the was the word un unreality. What was the word he used? Um, it's not hyper realistic. It's not a social document. It's partly an imagined Patterson, but with there a real go. affection and intention to feel the real Patterson. There we go. Okay, I really like that, and that does kind of explain also the parts of the movie that feel they're not, but sort of almost invite you to read them as supernatural like yeah. the overabundance what the seemingly overabundance of twins and, and right. that kind of thing um, well and so i think i sent you this quote last night but there's another article from the guardian that says this is a real place with real landmarks yet jarmish can't help reconfiguring it mm -hmm. into one of the unreal ghost town sites of his imagination patterson will walk streets that are weirdly uninhabited except mm -hmm. for sudden startling cameo apparitions which is how it feels when he's walking around the streets right and is how a poem works too patterson the poem again it's an epic poem it's like hundreds of pages long um and it is robust and it is like various and there are different ways that poems are written it's not just like one long poem of the same right. form page after page so what i'm about to say is a little bit against that but it's like but in a poem, there's only so much you can represent, even if what you're representing is does feel pretty, again, robust and, and almost exhaustive in the way that. But and that's can't... what William Carlos Williams was trying to do. But that right. doesn't, maybe isn't what Jim Jarmusch is trying to do. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and William Carlos Williams was trying to do it. And it's a great poem, but there's still you can't yeah. you can't in a poem or in a movie represent the, the entirety of a place like right. you just can't. Right. Um, and I think that. And also a mood like you hundreds of pages of poems versus uh, how many minutes is this movie? I think it's like two hours. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You can't compete there either. Well, and also I think, and forgive me for bringing phenomenology into this conversation, but <laughs> phenomenon. Doo -doo -doo. <laughs> oh, anyway, God. That's just, just came that... out of your brain. <laughs> That's from an undergrad um, professor I had talking about phenomenology. And that was like, you just Manchurian candidate activated <laughs> that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. I didn't, there was no intention behind that. That just, yeah. holy moly. Anyway, I'm so sorry. No, that was, that was wonderful. Um, but, and I don't want to get into a philosoph philosophical discussion of phenomenology. I really, really don't. But, okay. well, you know. Okay. <laughs> I know maybe you do <laughs> but it's if we're talking about a movie that is sort of in the world of imagism which is you know the type of descriptive poetry that carlo william carlos williams getting exhausted saying that name again um <laughs> was a part of stephen and, wall stevens <laughs> yeah stephen wall stevens and then um also engaging with the ideas in phenomenology which is you know a philosophy that begins with lived experience, mm -hmm. his lived experience has to be quiet enough in our view to notice the things he's noticing. Right. Right. I think that if he was writing this kind of poetry, but his world was loud and chaotic and busy, it wouldn't make sense. Like, because he's writing from observation. Preach. <laughs> Preach, my friend. <laughs> it so, is. Yeah. Again, when like pa it's funny patterson the poem is not a great example of this because it is so sprawling yeah. and so engaged and is doing so many things at once yeah. but 
his other more famous poems kind of because they are snappier and smaller like this is just to say like the red wheelbarrow um that ask you to just look at an image a moment Mm -hmm. an object and just let it be and exist and and to pull the meaning from the thing as it exists on its own and not to look at it as a metaphor for something else and it is so sneaky of Jarmish to say like that's what's happening here but also look at all these twins and look at this strange man who shows up out of nowhere with two broken fingers and isn't it interesting that Lara is obsessed so obsessed with black and white Mm -hmm. and she wants to fill the world with black and white Mm -hmm. um it's so sneaky and repeating patterns like yeah, she's obsessed yeah. with patterns and yeah. it's such i think it's a challenge to put all of that in there and then say like but it but just it is, is what it is, is. Yeah. <laughs> exactly exactly uh-huh uh-huh yeah. it's sneaky 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 he's throwing in so many i mean he's throwing in references to emily dickinson like you know all these different poets frank o'hara like he's asking us to pick it apart and then being like why are you picking it apart? Why are you picking it apart? Like- Which is also, it's a very William Carlos Williams thing, too. It's a very, like, imagist thing to do also. Oh, boy, my brain is doing 12 things at once. We started talking about and abandoned it. Um, that scene with the Japanese poet, mm-hmm. he says, I'm dri- a driver. Patterson says, I'm a bus driver. Driver says, I'm a Patterson. Also true. Um, <laughs> and he says, aha. And th- that aha is like... No, really? William Carlos Williams was a doctor. And right. Wallace Stevens, or yeah, Wallace Stevens. This lady's got me stressed. I know. We watched that. If, uh, I just, real quick in that that cans panel, this poor woman. I get it. I get it. This is why you don't ask a question at a panel ever. Yeah. She she embarrass yourself. She has clearly done, my guess is she's somebody who doesn't have a t- a ton of background in poetry and did something and probably did a ton of research to get ready very quickly. And made my favorite just my favorite blunder of all time that somebody could have made is so funny she tries to say william carlos williams and says stephen wallace stevens Mm -hmm. which is so it's such a it's such a beautiful slip i I genuinely i'm not laughing at her no i i I think it's so sweet and funny easily do that oh there was a wallace stevens book on the desk in the basement right because wallace stevens was i think an insurance salesman from is it Hartford? This is something I should know and would have been able to confidently say five five or ten years ago. Um, but but so, you know, Patterson, the character, comes from a rich history of people working their, like, quote-unquote, mundane, everyday jobs yeah. and having this rich interior life of poetry. And Wallace Stevens is one of them. And I, I think because this movie isn't just about William Carlos Williams, it's about – and it's not just about Patterson, right? It's about the rich history of poetry – I think it is also the thing why I'm saying all of that is this movie also feels like um, uh, uh, while Stevens poem, The 13 Ways of Looking at a Blackbird, Hmm. which is one that if you took a poetry class in undergrad, you probably would have encountered. Um, It's a 13 stanza poem and each stanza is, again, one way of looking at a blackbird. And this movie could be called like seven ways of looking at Patterson right Right. it's the same his routine is so specific and every day you're looking at the same exact basically you know we can and I did zero in on all the different variations Mm -hmm. but for the most part is there are 12 10 to 12 parts of Patterson's day and you can focus on one and hold it up like a little snow globe right and kind of turn it and say like oh isn't that interesting but at the end of the day it's a day in the life of Patterson um 
And I think that that's that's just something else I was thinking of while I was watching this movie. And it does make it a little easier to and maybe this is uh lazy of me as a watcher because I liked it so much, but it does make it easier to just sit back and be like, let's just let let's just let this movie be. I know. And in the spirit of not letting it be, there's one other thing. <laughs> that again, I don't know if it matters. Oh, while Stevens also said, um, let B be finale of seam, it's in the Emperor of Ice Cream. And that is another thing that like this movie is also, it's just like, stop trying to see what it seems like is happening in this movie. Right. Like just let the B, what this movie is being, just let it be that. Right. Right. And yet, and the yet- other thing that, that kind of sticks with me in a weird way with this movie. And again, I don't know that this matters, but it's something that I can't not think about is the fact that this is a very optimistic movie. Before you get into that, can you say more about like, I'm not disagreeing with you, but what um, feels optimistic specifically in this movie? So I think what feels optimistic specifically about this movie is that, and maybe optimistic isn't the right word, but that he lives a very working class life, right? There's a moment where she wants to buy a guitar and you can see the financial strain could be there, but we don't really get into it. Um, He lives in an economically relatively depressed city. So to me, the optimism is maybe more that the sort of the ways that reality wears you down as a working person under capitalism (laughs) is not really shown in this movie. Mm -hmm. So that his job as a bus driver is uneventful, relatively easy, not too much of a strain so that he can also be a poet in his head. Like as someone who has worked in shit retail jobs and other (laughs) jobs that are menial jobs, they often don't pay a living wage. You often have a second job. You often have trouble paying your bills. You and and like you know, there's all of this stuff that could have to do with his his. Um, now I'm really going to get obnoxious about this. His privilege as a white man that maybe inherited that house, but in the same thing that we've been talking about with the way that Jim Jarmusch is basically like, well, don't think about these other things. I think right. he's saying to us, don't think about the reality of life as a bus driver right like that is we're looking at the mythical bus driver we're looking Mm -hmm. at the poet bus driver we're not Mm -hmm. looking at the actual daily life of an actual bus driver because and all this to say i do this is just to say this is just to say i do in some ways subscribe to the idea of as an artist having a day job that doesn't take brain power mm-hmm. in the same way that being creative does. Like it takes mm-hmm. brain power, but it doesn't take the same kind of creativity right. that it takes to write a poem. Right. I do think that there's lots of people, William Carlos Williams included, who, well, that took a different kind of brain power, but a lot of it to be a doctor, <laughs> um, worked a quote unquote day job that allowed them the mental freedom to do their creative work. Right. As someone who has tried to do that from a less privileged but still more privileged than most position, it's not quite that simple. Right. Right. Like working a day job that is menial often means it's underpaid, often means that you leave the end of the day so tired that it is hard to do your creative work. Mm -hmm. And so 
I know that Jim Jarmusch is asking us to not think about any of that and just think of this as like a little, like you said, snow globe almost. Mm -hmm. It is hard for me to escape the, um, the, all of the things that aren't in this movie. Right. You know, because of who the main character is, Mm -hmm. because of what Jim Jarmusch wants us to focus on and not focus on. Like, I I do imagine, like, what if this movie was about a black woman bus driver? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of black women bus drivers. Yep. There's a lot of, you know, Latino men bus drivers. There's lots of people <laughs> that are not a tall, handsome white man that looks like, you know. Well, hold on. Well, handsome in a weird way. Can we, real quick, what is that line? In the, do you have that Guardian article pulled up by any chance? I'll pull it up real quick if not. Oh, <laughs> I did what? find I, I'm looking for oh the article, but I just found – so there's an article that describes Adam Driver, and that's what I'm talking about yep. right now in a way that I absolutely love. And I was just getting ready to pull that up. I'll link to it in the show notes. Uh-huh. It's in one of the Guardian articles that I think that we've already referenced. It's but by Peter Bradshaw, yeah. In looking it up, I found a Twitter post of somebody uh, – renegade apostle choose your fighter weird descriptions of adam driver (laughs) (laughs) gordian knot of clenched intensity i'm gonna read these out of order because i'm gonna save the one i was looking for for the end the actor who seems to seethe with his entire being tremulous his mouth seems on the point of trembling with tears but then the one i was looking for which i love so much is an easter island statue reborn as a delicate sensitive boy Mm -hmm. his Oh, my God. Do you know how many times in my notes I wrote in all caps his face? Yeah. When he looks at Lara with love, yeah. it is, like, hard to look at. He yeah. is so overcome with emotion and such a quiet, which is so funny because I think when you hear Adam Driver now, you think of that meme of him from, um, oh, God, what's Girls? the? No, the movie oh. where it's him freaking out <laughs> and he, like, turns and punches a wall. Oh, Marriage Story. Marriage Story, yeah. yeah, yeah you yeah. think of that meme for Marriage Story where he's yeah. so overcome with emotion that he explodes. Yeah. And in this movie, though, like the only time you really see him in a way overcome with emotion, it is with love for Lara. Mm-hmm. And you just see it take over his face. It's, yeah. It, he's teeming with it, but in a way that is still contained. Well, and he has um, he has a very expressive listening face. <sighs> he really does. Like, it's he... When asked about this role, he said he talks about um, trusting that thought is interesting enough, mm-hmm. which I thought was really, really beautiful. Yeah. And in this movie, it is like you could just watch yeah. him listen and react to the people around him. You see it so much on the bus. Yes. The, the scene where he's like kind of like delighting in the construction workers being kind of bumbling. Yeah. And then he reacts to the girl getting off the bus, reacting to them less yeah. positively. Like, yeah. it's all he is. I, you know, I, I've i never disagreed with anybody about Adam Driver. I've, I've also never really watched him closely in anything. Mm. Um, but You were not a is, girl's person? No. Mm. Um, but he is, he is just, he is tremendous to watch in this movie. Yeah. He's like, it's impossible to. I was like, oh, oh, I get I get the driver girls out there. Like, it is impossible not to love him. Yeah. And it's such a quiet performance Mm -hmm. that I feel like it's one of those where it's easy to kind of like easy to not recognize how much skill that takes because Mm -hmm. it's so quiet and so understated. But like, he's got to hold that whole movie with his face. 
And he does. And he's, he does. Yeah. That's I, like... I think, like, our listeners have heard me complain, I want every movie to be 80 minutes at this point. Yeah. And I know that's my fault. And I wasn't always that way. No, but I, I said too. to you, I would watch five, I, like, they could go through 12 weeks in his life, and I would watch, and it could be the same thing with yeah. a variation with a difference, you know, a repetition with a difference uh, every day, and I would be, I would be thrilled. Yeah. No, that's, that makes sense. There's just something, like... Especially I didn't interrupt you... the actual point you were trying to make because you called him handsome. <laughs> I think my point was just that it's not that I am upset that this movie is missing those other bits of reality, but maybe that I would also like to see someone create a movie like this that was centered on someone different or had more realism to it i i don't know that that would make a better movie i don't yeah. you know but I it's think so that, hard because yeah i don't know i i just it pointed out as in in all of its beauty and simplicity it also pointed out for me what wasn't there and mm -hmm. i kind of was curious about what that would look like if it was it is, it is so hard because i agree with you so much and then also i'm like Maybe are we a little like? It... Well, I think I get it. I mean, we are like, you know, two white ladies talking about this movie, being like, "What if this was more diverse?" <laughs> like, I get what I sound like. I know. <laughs> I'm aware of my status as the well-meaning white lady, but I do think that there are plenty of super talented people in other communities. Here's not he, not Jim Jarmusch making a movie that is a, and, of a different angle on this, but someone else. Right. And I think we have this is oh, now I'm now I'm just reckoning with my own bullshit because we also have the other like Jersey movies we've watched are fucking Garden State and Patty Cakes. Yeah. And it's like, well, these that's because these are the three that have sort of risen not not risen to the top have like gotten a sort of spotlight on them and i think the most like uh, quote unquote big scare quotes authentic experience we have would be jeremy jasper because he's from the area he's writing about zach braff is also from the area he's writing about but i think came from a place of much more privilege and is also representing a weird kind of dreamy reality yeah. um and i i can't speak for jeremy jasper because he hasn't come on our podcast <laughs> jeremy jasper come on our podcast but i will say that the town that he is from is a little nicer than mm -hmm. what's been represented in like the Lodi Paramus area in that movie. So, so it does say a lot that we just, we don't have, I, I can't think of too many examples. Yeah. It's, it's not that we're not watching these movies because we're ignoring them. I right. just don't know too many. And I'm sure there are people who are really trying to get, or, yeah. or maybe have made these movies and we just don't, know yeah. about them because of the spaces we occupy so maybe that's right. something you and i off mic should be looking into but all that i mean all that to say like you know in some ways what makes this movie work so well which is its simplicity and mm -hmm. it's like very 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 narrow focus mm -hmm. and its aversion to conflict is also then pointing out that those things are not always bad to include 
right. and are missing from this. So right. it's like, I'm not complaining about this movie. I was delighted by it. I could watch it again. It is an argument I make, or it's an argument I used to, it is the button I used to put on conversations like this, specifically when I taught children's lit. Mm-hmm. I, um, my, my students were almost always um, pre-service early education teachers. So right. they were students who were going to be choosing the types of books that were going to get in front of young children. And in the towns most of them were from, they were going to be kids who a lot of them looked a lot like the teachers themselves, like young white kids in the, mm-hmm. in the burbs, right? And so the conversation we would have a lot is like, how do you, you can't ask one book, you can't ask one piece of art to speak for the whole of a population. Right. And it's why we, it's Which why we need exactly hashtag why we need do. diverse yeah. books. It's yeah. hashtag why we need diverse movies. Right. And it's why we also need a diversity of books and a diversity of movies. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, because, it, yeah, I'm basically like this movie is great as is, but what if it had all these other perspectives? But of course it doesn't because it is made by one person and right. it is one movie. Right. So I think the only reason that I feel this way so actively with this movie is because I am more familiar with the places that they're talking about. Well, and it's also called Patterson and the main character is named Named Patterson Patterson. and it's about a poem about Patterson. So to ask this movie to speak for Patterson, I think is a little more reasonable than than to ask Patty Cakes to speak for Lodi. Lodi. It's not called Lodi. Her name is not Lodi. Right. No, that's that's a solid point. That's a solid point. Um, yeah. And I think I just have, like, I have the belated love for Patterson of someone who grew up so close to it, had a very sort of biased, you know, racist, really, experience of living near that city and has realized later in life that... A, that I had that experience, and B, Mm -hmm. that Patterson has so much beauty and so Mm -hmm. much history and, like, is a place that, like, New Jersey should be proud of, Mm -hmm. you know? So some of it is maybe, I don't know, white guilt being like, man, I had this this (laughs) view of this place and I was only seeing it through one very, very narrow perspective. And this movie is also seeing it through one very, very narrow perspective. So, right. Yeah. Right. yeah. Welcome to The Watchers, where we talk about my <laughs> my guilt of being a well-meaning white lady. There's one more thing I wanted to say, and I, I don't know if this gets dropped in somewhere else or if it just gets cut because it doesn't really matter. But it was something I was thinking about a lot, and it sort of in a way is in conversation with the like imagist Mm. um, movement, which this um, movie is also in conversation with. Mm -hmm. And it's the thing with, uh, I keep going back to the twins because they are the most anomalous thing in this movie. Yeah. And then also this, like how quote unquote real is Patterson, the character's experience. And it's like, I, I had a philosophy professor in undergrad, actually at the community college I went to before I transferred to Rowan, um, where I shout out to community colleges, where I got some of the best 
Like most of truly most of what I have learned about poetry, know about poetry comes from my um, mentor that I met in at community college who like nice. encouraged me to go on to undergrad and to grad school. Um, so a lot of what I've talked about in this episode doesn't even come from my like grad school education or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but I say all that because I had a, a different instructor um, who in a philosophy class and I don't remember the context for it, but him saying like, when we say like, what are the odds, you know, what are the odds that Patterson is going to see 15 twins? I don't know how many it is over the course right. of seven days. And it's like, well, you know, like to put yourself because you're watching a movie and it is kind of like instinctual to put yourself in the protagonist's shoes. Right. So like, what are the odds that I would see this many twins in a week? And it's like, probably not great that you would. But what are the odds that someone in all of history across this great planet would right. pretty good that one person at one point would yeah. have this particular experience especially someone who has a job where they encounter hundreds <laughs> right. of strangers a day exactly yeah. and so those kinds of things of like the unreality of this movie is maybe just because you're like well this isn't my experience right. but surely it's somebody's. it's somebody's experience at some point and and Jim Jarmus, I could, I'll, one day I'll get through his name without, I just try and like run into it full force with confidence. Jim Jarmusch, um has chosen to represent and to show us this one person's unique experience. And I think that's fine. I think that's okay. No, totally. I, I you know, I think that, I think that's right. Um, I also think this movie has now made me want to see a movie on um, Gaetano Bresci and <laughs> um, on uh lambert castle the silk um strikes of 1913 like there's just so i mean hamilton's great fine whatever but patterson also has a million other really super interesting stories that a lot of them about immigration and about labor rights i kept thinking about uh patterson's character in a movie where all of this is happening in his head and what actually is happening is he's sitting in front of a computer with a million wikipedia tabs open (laughs) so he's you and what we're exactly and what we're actually watching is the poem that Patterson, the vet who has returned from war and is like maybe is like agoraphobic or something. You know, did you watch Roseanne? Yeah. Do you know how Roseanne ends before I, I know uh oh, Roseanne I? is ca- I know Roseanne is canceled and that um yeah. but also that the show came back and wasn't good and ignored all of this. But the way the original series ends is there's an episode where Dan has a heart attack and recovers. Yeah. Okay. But you find out at the end of the series that Dan actually died and everything you're watching That's right. is Roseanne rewriting her own history. That's right. I do <laughs> so- remember that now. Yeah. What, we should do, you know what would be fun is to do an episode of like the most fucked up because I think we've talked about dinosaurs because I had a crush on uh, <laughs> Robbie. Um <laughs> Can I say something without people getting mad? Yeah. Um, uh, but that ends with um, the like imminent extinction of the dinosaurs and you have grown to love this family over the course of the show. Anyway, hmm. speaking of a million Wikipedia tabs open. Um, yeah. Uh, what, was, what was the actual point? Oh, like it. there's just there's so many little like mini info dumps in this movie which does i i I know we've been talking for two hours we're back to the good old days yeah um which does sort of mirror patterson the poem too sort of feels that way like yeah oh it does it's like here's here's a little bit of this a little bit of that and and the movie i think the bus is a really clever way to 
mimic that because Patterson himself does live yeah. a small life, but that doesn't mean he doesn't have access to all of these other experiences. Yeah, I think it's it's a it's <laughs> it's a good vehicle. Hey, it's a good vehicle for the story. You ever drive one of those uh, accordion buses? <laughs> articulated. Just the way he says articulated, and then he like says it. Oh God. He is so charming. Yeah, Jesus. that scene with um with that the young female poet is one of my favorite parts of the whole movie. She's <sighs> so charming too. She's she's great. Yeah, is she a bus driver who is it a bus driver who likes Emily Dickinson? I think that yeah. she's tickled by, or who likes poetry? I forget. But yeah, Emily and I. Oh God, I could do this all day. I'm so sorry. Uh, but of course, like you. Adam Driver, the poet living a, or Adam Driver, Patterson, the poet living a small life with these poems that he's keeping to himself. And then just to like, of, you have to mention Emily Dickinson there. Mm-hmm. like, And and she is somebody who had a much more complicated life we know now than she is often painted as having. Yes. Um, and I think that's interesting, too. I just pulled up the actual poem Patterson for a second. I just feel like Jim Jarmusch kind of stole the idea for Patterson from this poem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this is in the, I think this is in the preface or in in book one, I can't remember. But this is what you were talking about. Say it, no ideas, but in things. Mr. Patterson has gone away to rest and write. Inside the bus, one sees his thoughts sitting and standing, his thoughts alight and scatter. Who are these people? How complex the mathematic among whom I see myself in the regularly ordered plate glass of his thoughts glimmering before shoes and bicycles. God, like that's this movie. I mean, God, it's so good. We could have done a version of this episode that would have been exciting for nobody, but where we just like pointed out the specific parallels between the poem and the movie. Um, I would need another week or two to really get into the poem for that to work. That's for the Patreon when we have one million downloads. Yeah. We'll do our Patterson deep dive and I'll finally get that book club poem book club poem. That book club podcast I've been itching yeah. for going. Yeah. The first, starting with an epic poem from the, uh, <laughs> when was this written? 1950s? Six, 50s and early 60s. All right. So should we pivot to our our December plan? Because mm-hmm. this is the end of our November episodes. Yeah. So next month. We've decided, and we've mentioned this before, that December is going to be our present to ourselves. We're going to watch the movies that we've both seen and love that we had put off of our list because, um, you know, the original conceit was introducing each other to our movies. But these are movies that came up in our initial conversations of like, could we do this movie? This is one of my favorites. Nope. Mm -hmm. This is also one of my favorites. So we're going to do those movies. What are we starting with? So, again, these are movies we both love, so it's sort of, like, arbitrary as to whose movie is what. But yeah. I'm going to take the lead on this one, which means you'll next week get to tell us what it's about, et cetera, et cetera. We're watching a movie that I love so much. I know you do as well. I could recite this whole movie. I think this is a pretty good Neither of these actors are in this movie, but I do think it's a pretty good midpoint between the Molly Ringwald on the Molly Ringwald John Candy spectrum. Yeah, I agree. Um, we're revisiting an actor that that we um, talked about just a couple of weeks ago, Val Kilmer. Mm-hmm. 
why I need so much lead up. I know. We're watching Real Genius. I'm so excited. It's such an epic movie in my mind. Like I had it on VHS. I think I taped it off of the TV or something. Mm -hmm. And I just would rewind and rewatch that movie constantly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Huge crush on Val Kilmer in this movie. Uh, Oh, he's perfect in this movie. He's so good. Everybody's great in this movie. I mean, secret science chamber that you get to through a closet. (laughs) How is that? That can't be bad. There's so... Turning the hall into ice? It's the best. really did color what I thought college would be like, though, I will say. Seriously. In a a way that led to nothing but disappointment in my my life. There were no ice luges in the hallways. Sadly. Uh, Yeah. It's it's going to get silly again. We're going to get silly. And I... Maybe we'll find a way to bring poetry into it anyway. It's such an 80s movie, too. Oh, yeah. Just the, like... Uh, I'm just assuming everybody's seen it. Maybe not. Um, so I actually won't say too much, but it is. I'm so excited. Yeah. I'm so excited to talk about this movie. Yeah. There will definitely be misogyny, boob jokes, possibly some homophobic shit, possibly some racist shit. It's from 1985. We will acknowledge that that's probably going to be there before we watch it. But all of that to say it is a delightful, yeah. wonderful movie that just is so much like it is one of those movies where it's like I think that movie is so funny. And it's because like that movie has so much to do with what my sense of humor looks like today. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I quoted that movie like to a super annoying degree most mm-hmm. of my young life tomorrow or tomorrow next week is going to be one of those weeks Mm -hmm. and there's going to be both two of us usually i know usually one of us us. i know i know where can folks watch it oh great question yeah it looks like um it's available to rent amazon itunes google play voodoo for a few bucks um it's well worth your few bucks because it is so fun and good you can find us at watcherspod and on Instagram. You can email us. Uh, we're watcherspod and at Gmail. Leave us a review, please, if you uh, feel so inclined. Um, yeah. And tell your friends about us. They can find me on Instagram at Jody underscore Mim, J O D I E underscore M I M. It is my art account. So if you like art, go there. It's a great art account. I'm at AQ Andrea Q. It's my pictures of cats and dogs account. Yes. And right so, now mine has has a cat on it as well because I'm watching my mom's cat. So she she's so beautiful. I love her. Anyway. Anyway, we will see you in space. <laughs> we'll see you in space. Kind yeah. of. Kind of. Kind of. We'll see you in the lab. Yes, we'll see you in the lab. <laughs> <laughs>